Look at this gorgeous ladies' praise choir. Isn't this amazing? Happy Mother's Day, by the way. We are standing up here as mothers, daughters, granddaughters, grandmothers, which I just became five months ago. We're just, we're ladies, and we're just all on this journey together called life. And I'm so thankful to be able to do this journey with these ladies, to lift each other up. We cry together, we laugh together, we sing together. I'm so thankful to be able to sing with these ladies and just uh, praise the Lord. The song we're going to do is called Everything. And get this in your mind today, ladies, all day long, just sing this. He gives me everything I need. I know it's hard. Life is hard. But it's so much better together, especially as women. So.
ladies. You give me everything. You give me everything. You give me everything I need. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day to all our mothers. How many of you mothers got breakfast in bed this morning? One, man, you guys have got a lot to learn. Two, over here, just a Pop-Tart and juice would have been enough. Come on. Well, congratulations, mothers. And I don't know of a day that creates more emotion than Mother's Day. My mother has been dead 72 years today. 72 years. But. The Lord has given me a few memories of her that I cherish, particularly on Mother's Day. Now, most Mother's Day, the emotions are sweet, but I do know that Mother's Day memories can cause pain for a lot of reasons that I don't need to even go into. And we really don't want to be insensitive to you ladies who don't have children or can't have children. And uh, we've gotten so politically correct about Mother's Day. But I, I think you would agree with me that one day of the year, we can honor and we can rejoice with the women who have been blessed with children and who have done the hard, hard work it takes to raise children. Amen? I think we can give them that one day. All right? Now, I want all the moms to stand. I want all the moms to stand. All right, guys, now here's your chance. Give it up for the moms. All right. Just stay standing, ladies. Just stay standing. I want, us, I want uh, your families to stand with you. I want your families to stand with you. All right, take her hand. Take her hand. And if there's a lady that's standing by herself, somebody go stand with her, will you? All right. All right, somebody go stand with those that are standing by themselves. Okay. All right. Now let's have a prayer over our ladies and our mothers, okay? Father, we give you thanks and praise this morning for the mothers who have unselfishly nurtured us through the years. We thank you for mothers who kissed our hurts and dried our tears. We thank you for mothers who spent sleepless nights tending our coughs and our fevers. We thank you for mothers whose special touch created a safe, comfortable security, a sanctuary we call home. We thank you for mothers who held our hands during the transitions of life. And we thank you for mothers who loved us even when we were bad. And we thank you for mothers who showed us how to pray and how to trust Jesus. And today, we honor those mothers whose unconditional love has made us strong. Father, we pray for pregnant mothers, expectant and fearful. And Father, we pray for mothers who are just tired and stressed out from being a mother and having a career at the same time. We remember single mothers today who must raise their children alone, 
give them an extra emotional and physical and spiritual energy that they need and give them a good sense of humor. Remember mothers whose children have left home and they will be all by themselves today. Remember those, children, those mothers who have lost a child through death or miscarriage or even an abortion. We remember women whose desire to be a mother has not yet been fulfilled. So, Father, we pray for our mothers in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, now give your wife, give your mom a great big hug. It is all right to even kiss in church. It's okay to kiss her if you want to. Come on, men. All right, all right, all right. Well, we continue our series today on what about heaven, and today we're going to deal with questions people ask me about heaven. A lot of those questions have been on that sermon bumper that we have played every Sunday. So what are some of the questions that people ask about heaven? Have you ever thought, Lord, I wish you'd have told us more about heaven? I wish that you would have given us more to go on. Now, the truth is, the information about heaven has been divinely limited and reserved. Have you noticed that when you read Scripture? The Apostle Paul, after he had been given a tour of heaven, he writes this in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things so no human is allowed to tell. So the Lord is essentially saying, I know that you want more and you long for more, but I have given you everything that you need to know about heaven right now. So exactly what have we been told? What have we been told? Last week, what did we learn? We learned that heaven is a real place, a real physical place, just as physical as this room is this morning. There are walls and there are streets and there are houses and there's a river and there's a garden. And we were told that Jesus is a real person. A lot of people don't think he's is real when he gets to heaven. He's a real person, going to have a body, a glorified body that he had when he came out of the tomb. And we learned that when we get to heaven, we're going to have a body just like Jesus. So what else have we been told? Let me try to answer some of the questions that people down through the years have asked me about heaven. Question number one, will my new body have emotions and feelings? Will my new body have emotions and feelings? Jesus says in Luke 6, 23, that in heaven we will leap for joy. Now, that's an emotion, leaping for joy. That also means that we will return to our youthful vitality and strength. <laughs> Some of us in this room haven't leaped for joy in a long time. Doesn't cross our mind nowadays. In Luke 6, 21, Jesus promises that our mourning will be turned into joy. That's an emotion. Have you ever wondered, will I laugh again? In the new world, 
crying sad tears are out, but laughing and joy are in. In Matthew 25, 33, Jesus invited his servants. He said, come and share your master's happiness. Now, one of the misconceptions that people have of heaven is that we're just going to turn into a bunch of stoics. No feelings, no joy, no laughter, and even no tears. Now, you're saying, I know what it says in Revelation 21, 4. That God is going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. But let me just throw this out for you to think about. Just think about this. The context of Revelation 21.4 is that God is going to wipe away our tears that relate to death and sorrow and pain and hurt. But think about this. Have you ever thought that there are tears of joy? Have you ever cried tears of joy? Yes, at a beautiful sunset, a beautiful piece of music. I cannot sing the second stanza of it is well with my soul without tearing up. My sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sins, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I could almost become a charismatic when I sing that. <laughs> a photo of your grandkids, or now our great-grandkids kids, or a reunion with a loved one that ends a separation that was a long time, tears of joy, (laughs) your kids moving out of the house, those are tears of joy, now some of you laughed uh, uh, because you thought that was funny, Uh, and that's the way you're wired, and that's okay, but some of you did not think that was funny, and it made you sad to think. To think, you know, that your kids are moving out. Take it from those of us who have experienced it. You will love it. Uh, (laughs) In heaven, you will be uniquely you, laughing and shedding tears of joy over different situations. Do you think that when you get to heaven and you see a dear, dear grandmother or grandfather, do you think you'll bubble up with tears of joy? Oh, I think I will. I can't wait to see my grandmother. uh, She raised me. I think, oh, I just can't imagine. I'll be a slob. I I really will. Will we know each other in heaven? Boy, I get asked that a lot. Will we know each other in heaven? The Bible says that each person will inherit salvation. Their names are listed in the Lamb's book of life. We'll know each other. In In Luke 10, 20. Jesus sent the 70 out on the preaching mission. They came back, and oh, they were just so excited about what had happened. And Jesus said this to them, Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you, but rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. In Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 11, Jesus says at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we are going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember who came back? Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And they, they, it was Moses and Elijah, their true identity. And here's the thing that's always been interesting to me. The apostles recognized them. The apostles recognized them. They knew who they were. Now, how did they do that? I don't think, I don't think Moses and Elijah had on name tags. No. 
Because the transfiguration is a prototype telling us that our future resurrection identities will be maintained. We will know each other in heaven. Folks, I cannot fathom the Father gathering his family together and as a bunch of total strangers. That's just, that's just not real. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, that we will be reunited with believing family, friend, family and friends in heaven. This is what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to Christians who have died so that you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. Now, our source of comfort is it that we will not only be in heaven with the Lord, but we'll be in heaven with all of our loved ones, all of our friends that we have known on earth who died as believers. Strong in his book of theology says it this way. We certainly shall not know less there than here. Wouldn't you hate to think you had less sense in heaven than you had here? You know, wouldn't you think, hate to think that? We certainly shall not know less there than here. If we know our friends here, we will know them there. And as we know our friends here, we shall know them there. Love to Christ draws us nearer to each other. So there we shall love friends not less but more because of our great nearness to Christ. There's an old hymn that we don't sing much anymore. They sang it one night when I preached at Trio, and I hadn't heard it for years. Oh, that will be glory for me. Remember that old hymn? There is a line in that old hymn that says, Friends will be there we have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. How many times have you heard me say since I have been here that those who believe in Jesus never see each other for the last time? Amen? Those who believe in Jesus never see each other for the last time. Now, don't minimize human relationships in heaven. Expect to see those human relationships magnified and perfected. And remember, when we get to heaven, this is the great part that I can't hardly understand. We will be perfect. We will be perfect. Can you imagine? We will be perfect. And I've often told you when I stand before God and he looks at me and says, L.D. Campbell, you're perfect. I hope Joyce is standing right behind me. Because she won't believe it unless God says it. In heaven, there will be no cliques. There will be no competition. There will be no comparison. There will be no conflicts. And you say, well, people ask me, well, what about family? Of course you will remember your family. In heaven, our family relationships are going to be healed where healing is needed Mended where mending is needed, forgiven where forgiveness is needed, and in heaven, <laughs> in heaven, you'll even be able to get along with your ex. Amen. 
I probably shouldn't have said that. That brings back bad memories. <laughs> Number three, hard on the heels of that, is people ask, why will there be no marriage in heaven? Why will there be no marriage in heaven? Let's read what Jesus said about it in Luke, the 20th chapter. You remember the Sadducees came to Jesus, and they tried to tick Jesus. They said, Jesus, there was this woman who married to this man, and he died. And he married her brother, and he died, and she went through seven brothers. They all married her and died. Those boys should have wised up, you know. They went through seven. They all died. Now, whose wife is she going to be in the new life, in the resurrection? And Jesus said, marriage is for people here on earth, but that will not be the way it will be in the age to come. For those worthy of being raised from the dead won't be married then, and they will never die again. In these respects, they are like angels. They are children of God raised up to new life. Now listen carefully to me. Jesus is not saying here, when we get to heaven, we'll be like angels. A lot of people think we're going to be like angels. No, 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 no. He is saying we'll not be like angels, and we will not be genderless clones. In heaven, there are is a place, it is a place of maleness, it is a place of femaleness. There will not be, but there will not be marriage. Now, why? Marriage was only for this life, Jesus said. In heaven, there will be no need for procreation, it will not be needed. So, which means in heaven, there will not be any sex. So, why no sex? Sex was designed for marriage, and since there's no marriage in heaven, then logically we will not be engaging in sex. But in heaven, but in heaven, all of our desires will be good, and none of them will be frustrated. And I believe that in heaven there will be joys in heaven far greater than sexual fulfillment, and somehow I don't think we will find that disappointing. Now, most of us in this life have spent life with our wife or our spouse and we love them deeply. And when I preach this sermon, it always upsets some people that there will be no marriage in heaven because they enjoyed marriage so much on earth. Now, Jesus said that the institution of marriage would end, having fulfilled its purpose. But he never said that deep relationships between married people will end. He didn't say that. I don't think that up in heaven I'll bump into Joyce one day and say, oh, Joyce, that's you. Have you seen the children lately? No, 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 no. Joyce and I will not be married in heaven, but I believe we will have a deeper bond than we have now. Married people, listen to me. I think we'll be far closer in heaven than the happiest day of our marriage on earth. In heaven, our relationships will be far more meaningful there because there will be no disagreements. There will be no hurt feelings. There will be no selfishness. There will be no impatience. Just perfect love. And guys, I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when I don't have to say I'm sorry for the umpteenth time. Amen? And wives, wives, 
in heaven, your husband will finally be able to communicate with you and listen and sympathize. And you're thinking, it will take heaven to do it. And husbands, in heaven, your wife will not have any mood swings and you'll be able to understand her and it'll take heaven to do it. (laughs) Some of you are enjoying this a little too much. Question number four is a serious question. What about children, babies, and heaven? If you've ever gone to the funeral of a child, you've asked questions, especially if that child was your own. I believe that the Bible teaches without doubt that children who die go straight to heaven instantly gloriously and triumphantly. They will bypass all the sorrows of this life and be transported right into the presence of Jesus. I agree with John MacArthur when he says, little children have no record of unbelief or evil works, and therefore there is no basis for their deserving eternal separation from God. They are gloriously and sovereignly saved by God as part of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. However, I believe it is reasonable to assume that God will let the children who die live in eternity in a more mature state. Now hang in here with me. Most likely at the resurrection, I believe that children will receive the glorified body that will reflect what they would have become had they lived. Now, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Alex, Alexander McGaff is, a, is an excellent English scholar, and he says this. By the late 13th century, the church's emerging census was this. As each person reaches their peak of perfection around the age of 30, they will be resurrected as they would have appeared at the time, even if they never reached that age. Peter Lombard's discussion of the matter is typical of his age. A boy who dies immediately after being born will be resurrected in that form which he would have had if he had lived to the age of 30. The New Jerusalem will be populated by men and women as they would appear at the age of 30, but with every blemish removed. Thomas Aquinas was a great medieval theologian of his day, and he believes that we will all be the age of Jesus when Jesus was crucified somewhere between 30 and 33. Now, folks, I I don't plan on spending eternity looking like this. If I'm 30 years of age, great. I didn't have any hair then, so that'll be fine. But I believe we will inherit new bodies that will be at our maximum capacity to enjoy eternity. Amen? Now, if you lost a baby or had a miscarriage or your baby was stillborn, the person, I believe, the person that baby would have been will be in heaven. And they will be the person that they would have been if they matured. And you will know them. 
all aborted babies will be in heaven. And the life that God intended for them to have will not be denied by someone who made a choice that they'd had no right to make. And the person that God created them to be will spend eternity in heaven. Folks, Jesus loves little children far too much for them not to enjoy heaven without being at their fullest potential. So you chew on that and see what you think about it. And I get asked this question more than you would realize. Will animals be in heaven? And I can say, absolutely. Jesus promised in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. And when you read all in the Bible, what does it mean? All. That's all all means. Now, it's not just people who will be renewed, but the earth is going to be renewed. And we're going to talk about that in the last sermon in this series. All things. Now, that includes the human race. That includes the animal kingdom. Yes. Horses, cats, deers, cows, tigers, you name the animals. All of them will be beneficiaries of the renewed new heaven and the renewed new earth. And Jesus seems to be saying, I'll take all that I made the first time, including people, including nature, including the animal kingdom, and bring it back new, fresh, and indestructible. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth in the first six days, he will recraft all that he created in Genesis, those first six days. All that he created will be recrafted and restructured and be immortalized. And, in fact, God is going to give the immortalized animal kingdom the ability to praise him in elevated awareness and expression. Remember, there's a scene in heaven. There's a scene in heaven where all creatures are praising God. Now, this is easy to miss. This is easy to miss. So hang in here with me. Are you with me? Are you with me? Hang in here with me. This may be easy to miss. John records that scene where all the redeemed believers are rejoicing. All the angels are rejoicing and praising God. And then he says... In Revelation 5.13, and I want you to notice the words in bold. And leave leave it up there for a minute, Jessica. And every created thing, notice that, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever." And ever. Now notice the words, all things, every created thing. Let me give you a little lesson in Greek. I, I, I tell my students never pronounce Greek words in the in, and don't don't use Greek words in the in the, in the sermon. But I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson. That word, every created thing, is one word in the original language of the Bible. And it is the word 
that we get our transliterated word zoo from. Are you with me? It's the transliterated word that we get zoo from. Now, it's the normal word in the Greek language when Jude uses it and Peter uses it and the writer of Hebrews uses it to refer to animals. Same word. Same word. So I think it is safe to say and assume that animals will be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, Isaiah, remember, he had a vision of the new earth, and he found various animals of all kinds present in it, and they were behaving in the most interesting way. Look what he said. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the cattle, but the but the serpent's food will be dust. The old boy still didn't get any legs. And they will, do, they will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. See, not only will animals be there, but they'll be able to get along. Now, frankly, I got to thinking about this. I don't know how God is going to manage the population growth, especially among rabbits, but... Uh, I will leave that up to his infinite ingenuity. Isaiah said even more truth about what we can expect in the new heaven and the new earth. Look what he said in Isaiah 11. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I get asked this a lot. Will my pet dog or my pet cat, will my pet be in heaven? Well, that depends. Some animals are going to have to have a real radical conversion or they're going to ruin heaven for all of us. And if you knew me real well, you would know what animal I'm talking about. The story's going around that sums up the question perfectly. <laughs> It seems that these three animals appeared before God's throne. A German shepherd, a Doberman pincer, and a cat. And God said to the German shepherd, what do you believe? And the German shepherd said, sir, I believe in discipline and order. And the Doberman, he said to the Doberman, and what do you believe? And the Doberman said, sir, I believe in protection and loyalty. And he said to the cat, and what do you believe? And the cat said, I believe that you're in my seat. <laughs> that pretty well sums it up. Seriously, will some of our pets be in heaven? We're not told. We're not told. And some of our pets have been, we've loved them better than we have human beings, but we're not told. But I will tell you that C.S. Lewis, great scholars like C.S. Lewis and even John Piper and even old John Wesley and other church leaders thought that it was a real possibility. And if you read Johnny Erickson Tata's book, she says in her book on heaven, it would be just like our gracious God if they, if they were. But we're not really told one way or the other. Question number six is a hard question. How can I 
how can it be heaven if my loved ones aren't there? How, how could it be heaven if my loved ones aren't there? The Bible says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And think about this. Jesus is happy in heaven even though multitudes that he loved and died for will spend eternity separated from him. How could that be? Perhaps the glories of the next life will overwhelm us and the memory, overwhelm the memories of this life because Isaiah said this, Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Consider this in the next world. I think that we will have a maturity that will allow us to understand the justice of God in a way we don't understand it now. I don't think in heaven we will ever question God's judgments. And as we stand before the holiness and the purity of God We're not going to question his judgments. We're not going to say, well, how could a loving God send my loved one to hell? Remember, God didn't send your loved one to hell. God didn't send those people to hell. It's a choice. Remember, we dealt with that. It's their choice. If you want to go to heaven, you can go on the grace of God. But if you don't choose heaven and you want to go to hell, that's your choice. And you can't blame anybody but yourself. I believe when we get there, We will be overwhelmed by the grace of God that we are in heaven. That we'll just be overwhelmed by his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Remember, God has said he will wipe those tears of of, of grief away from our eyes. All the tears that we would cry for sorrow. No sorrow, no crying. And I believe that God keeps his promise. Well, these are some questions that I don't pretend to have all the answers to, and I don't think anybody does, but here is a good answer to these questions. Believe the God of heaven is bigger than our concerns, amen? Believe that the God of heaven is greater than our concerns. In World War II, the king of England ordered that the children of London be removed from the city because of the Nazi bombing. And many, many parents took their children to the train station and sent them to safer places in the country until the war was over. And if you've ever seen any news clippings of that, if you've ever seen them, it was a traumatic time. It was, it was a traumatic time for those parents who were putting their children on the train not knowing when they would see them again. It was a traumatic time for those children to be separated from their parents not knowing when they would see them again. But the story is told of a mother and a father who put their young son and daughter on the train to be taken away. And they said their tearful, tearful goodbyes. And as the train began to pull away from the station the little girl started to cry and because they were scared. They did not know where they were being sent. They did not know who would be there to meet them. They did not know 
when they would see their parents again. And she started to cry because she wanted to stay with her dad and her mum, as they called them in England. And brushing away his own tears, her brother put his arm around her shoulder and he said, Sis, I don't know where we're going either, but the king knows, so don't worry. We have a lot of questions we don't have the answers to. I don't know all the answers. Nobody knows all the answers. But the king knows. The king knows. So don't worry. Pray with me. Father, we have questions, especially when our loved ones die. Questions and concerns that come to us and we're in a constant battle sometime with Satan fighting our doubts about your goodness and our destiny. And Father, we pray against our doubts. And Father, we will hold on to the truths that we do know, that we do have, and will affirm that you, God, are the ultimate answer. And we believe it's possible that you are preparing a place for us where all the things that hurt us now will be gone forever. And we pray that day will come soon. But until then, help us to live worthy of your grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said,